Back in the day, when choosing a profession, if one can call it that, there was no thought of switching jobs during your career. So, we naturally chose something with which we sensed certain affinities. In my case, there was a certain family connection with watchmaking, since my parents made balance wheels, as did my grandfather, while my uncle and his brothers made watches. The entire population of the region was basically living in step with the watchmaking world. My name is Pierre-Alfred Rollet, and I studied watchmaking engineering at technical school in Le Locle and La Chaux-de-Faux. In the evolution of the chronograph, we nurtured some ambitious plans, but from the early 1970s, the electronic or quartz watch made its entry into the watch industry. I would say that this caused a change of heart. People began to see quartz as an alternative to the traditional movement blank, with a timekeeper, in the form of a quartz oscillator, that was more accurate than the sprung balance. I would say that's essentially what drove the industry to follow the electronics lead. And watchmakers had no other option but to follow the path that was already being taken. The transition from a mechanical to a tuning fork oscillator. The tuning fork enabled one to set the frequency that would handle the timekeeping part of a movement. This was followed by quartz, and as soon as it became commercially available at a reasonable price, everyone wanted it. There was also the change of display mode. And I would in fact say that this aspect was even more significant than the impact of quartz on the sprung balance. This was the beginning of the digital world, and mechanical watches with hand-type displays took a huge hit as fewer and fewer people wanted them. Mechanical chronographs thus also seemed pointless. In my opinion, the arrival of quartz in the watchmaking world received a favorable reception because buyers and the market wanted it. So the only real option was to follow the market. School leavers thus ended up entering the watch industry directly in the field of electronics rather than making mechanical watches. There was no aversion to quartz as such, but there were consequences in terms of employment, since quartz watches were easier to manufacture, not necessarily to develop, 
but to produce. And that is what led to job cuts in the watchmaking world during the 1970s. In less than 10 years, between 60 and 70,000 jobs were lost. It became apparent to the watch industry that the digital display trend was not successful. And we quickly returned to the two-hand or multi-hand chronograph. The resurrection of the chronograph was therefore quite appreciated, especially since it was coupled with design improvements. We made skeleton models and tourbillons, far more elegant models that became personal objects that were more than a mere timepiece. Yes, I think watchmakers were delighted by the revival of the mechanical watch. The possibility of being called to work on the automatic chronograph was not just a challenge for a young person. It was unique. Why has the El Primero movement been celebrated for more than 50 years around the world? If you want to know one of the reasons, we recommend taking a closer look at the hands of your watch. They don't individually punctuate each second, instead gliding sensually as if waltzing around the dial. This is precision technology, driving an appearance inseparably mingled with true artistry. You're listening to El Primero Stories, the movement podcast. While operating at the other end of the spectrum from this cutting-edge technology, Swiss manufacturers nonetheless began to witness the emergence of quartz watches in the mid-1960s, initially coming from Asia. For Zenith, this technology meant a need to bring something more to the chronograph movement that the manufacturer was secretly preparing in its R&D department. Quartz would bring cheap chronographs, dividing time into tenths or even hundredths of a second. The Swiss chronographs produced up until that time generally beat at a rate of 18,000 vibrations per hour, making it possible to measure time with fifth of a second accuracy. At best, the most advanced calibers, operating at 28,800 vibrations per hour, were able to measure eighths of a second. While there were indeed certain particularly accurate chronographs thanks to a higher frequency, they were not wrist-worn versions, but larger pocket watch versions oscillating at a frequency of 5 Hz, or 36,000 vibrations per hour, thus paving the way for tenth-of-a-second timing. Achieving such a level of precision for a wrist-worn chronograph was a bit like breaking the sound barrier for aviation. To achieve this, Zenith took advantage of an invention presented in 1967 and shared by several companies. It consisted of a 21-toothed wheel named the Klinergique 21. This would enable the escapement of the El Primero chronograph movement currently under development to jump from 4 to 5 hertz. Unlike the staccato motion of the seconds hands on quartz models, such a frequency gives the seconds hand a deceptively flowing motion, creating an impression of continuity. After the presentation of this wheel, it took nearly two more years to finalize the El Primero movement, which was finally presented to the press on January 10, 1969. A real battle royale was being waged between watchmakers loyal to the mechanical movement and those who were turning to quartz watches. 
Meanwhile, the chronograph continued its ascent without worrying about the competition. The technical progress made to perfect the development of El Primero was a major accomplishment in that, above and beyond its high frequency, it featured integrated automatic winding and an over 50-hour power reserve. This therefore freed its user from the obligation of carrying out tedious manual winding, a chore that quartz watch manufacturers immediately put forward to justify the worth of this new technology. Advocates of the quartz watch backed up this first argument by highlighting the incredible precision of their products. Once again, Zenith was able to offer a technical response by explaining the characteristics of El Primero, which enabled timing to the nearest tenth of a second. Retailers were trained and tasked with explaining the benefits of the new Zenith movement to their customers. Quartz watches were known to be sensitive to shocks, leading Zenith to explain with regard to El Primero that such a high frequency makes this chronograph insensitive to shocks. Quartz watches were described by their manufacturers as thinner than mechanical watches. So Zenith responded in its advertising that its movement was only 6.5 millimeters thick. The argument of one year's peace of mind procured by a battery continuously driving the quartz was immediately countered by the value of automatic winding, which takes place continually and spontaneously on the wrist without any need for battery changes. The early 1970s brought a wealth of colorful new designs. All shapes of watches were permitted. From round cases, the industry moved on to oval or square counterparts, with lugs that were also of all shapes and styles. Steel was combined with solid gold or gold plating. Dials were given bright and sometimes multiple colors. Bright red, all shades of blue, and gilded tones lent a special radiance to dials, alongside more traditional versions, echoing the colors of quartz watches. The price argument remained unanswered. All one had to do was make customers feel that their El Primero chronograph embodied high-flying micromechanical performance and represented an acquisition of incomparable quality compared with what a quartz watch could offer. The financial aspect was deliberately not countered by Zenith in that the manufacturer, like most other maisons, was developing a collection of quartz watches, which was the only way to stay in the race in the early 1970s. It's difficult to criticize one technology over another when you're using both. Like many of the major watchmaking companies, Zenith was at peace with quartz technology, an opportunity that the brand also needed to seize. This twofold presence in the catalogs thus marked the end of a battle that otherwise continued to be fought between traditional watchmakers and those who supported this technology, as well as between mechanical watch lovers and others not particularly worried about what kind of movement powered their watch. Finally, it was El Primero that would remain the undisputed leader in the race against time. Quartz, however, almost won the battle when production of the El Primero movement ceased between 1975 and 1985. This interlude lasted 10 years, until Quartz watches so cheap that they were delivered in bulk by certain distributors ended up losing any form of value. This mass distribution was detrimental to their image, as well as that of certain high-quality models containing this technology. Those who believed at the time that the war had been definitively lost had probably forgotten that it was merely a battle. Much like the Rose of Jericho, also known as the Resurrection Plant, El Primero's inexhaustible resources have given it the exceptional ability to recover, even when it has appeared definitively lost.
Neither courts nor time succeeded in consigning the iconic Zenith movement to oblivion. Not only did El Primero return to the forefront as the leader of modern chronographs, but it also enjoyed a new career that became increasingly important in the history of watchmaking. Its longevity has been equaled only by its modernity, a gift it has enjoyed since birth and which showed no sign of aging. El Primero did better than merely win the court's battle. It also gained universal recognition that ranked it among the best chronographs ever designed, as well as opening doors to the future for this mature yet ever youthful 50-year-old. Thank you very much to all of you for listening to this El Primero Movement story, a podcast which has been dedicated to movement excellence. My name is Julien Tornard, and I'm the CEO of Zenit. Like you, we are all sharing passion about watches, passion about watchmaking, and I think all these stories that you've been listening to are basically great examples of sharing this fantastic passion. We have been celebrating this year the 50th anniversary of one of the most, if not the most important movement in the watch industry, called the El Primero, a legendary movement created in 1969. All over the year, we've been around the world to celebrate this movement with different friends and aficionados of our brand and sharing this passion. So I'm very happy that you could hear all these interesting stories about the brand, including Charles Vermeer's story, which is a man I want to celebrate, especially this year for this anniversary. I'm also looking forward to being with you in the next episode and to share more adventures about watchmaking and about El Primero. Thank you.